Well, some of you were there on that day uh, three years ago, and others of you weren't, or you may not remember it as well, but I got to be honest with you. It's honestly hard to believe that it's already been three years, Uh, and I think part of the reason is because when Lauren and I got here in 2019, uh, even what what we were envisioning for for our ministry together, we couldn't really have imagined how it would go. And then you take into account what's happened over the last three years, and even if we had imagined something, that went out the window pretty quickly. But uh, there is one thing that was true on that day that remains to be true today, and I pray is true into the future, and that is the love that we have received from all of you. Uh, Your love was an unwavering presence in the midst of everything going on in all of your lives and in our lives and in some of the most challenging years that we've faced so far. Uh, Your love was steady and was always there. And so as I begin this morning, I just want to say thank you. Uh, Thank you for for loving us and for your ministry to us. And I look forward to many more years together. Now one of the things uh, that you've learned about me over these last three years is that I love... New York sports teams. Yeah, some of you were expecting chocolate chip cookies or Chick-fil-A, okay? I'm going to save that for future sermons, right? But you know that I love my New York sports teams, and I cheer as if I am on the team. I often refer to myself as a member of the team when I talk about them, right? And, uh, I mean, if you don't believe me, just ask Lauren what it's like to sit with me during a Yankees playoff baseball game. It's a good time. It's a good time. But uh, one of the things I realized recently is that uh, being a New York sports fan is a way that I kind of identify myself. It's, it's a lesser part, but a part nonetheless of my identity. And the reason I realized this is because uh, for the youth gathering about a month ago now, I had to write a, a little biography because I was a speaker there, as I mentioned. And so this biography just gave some of the kids who were coming to my session a brief description about who I am and the things that I like to do and so on and so forth. And so in that description, I, of course, included uh, that, I, you know, I'm a pastor and I talked about Lauren and I talked about Benson, you know, a little pup, and I talked about all of you. But I also included that I was a New York sports fan. And I even went as far, you know, of course, to say go Yankees, right? Now, uh, the reason that this kind of stuck out to me is because lately I've been thinking a lot about our identity. And while I wouldn't say that anything that I wrote was untrue, and if I had to do it again, I probably wouldn't change it, I do think that uh, the next time I write a little something about myself and my identity, I'm going to ask myself these two questions. Is this who I am, and how does who I am influence what I do. See, and the reason that I think these two questions are really helpful is because usually when we talk about identity, we kind of stop after the first question, right? Uh, We address who I am, and that makes sense. That is kind of the point of your identity. But I think we then leave off this part that who you are says a lot about then what you do, that, that who you are influences what you do. And when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Uh, take, for example, uh, one of my favorite sports movies of all time, Remember the Titans. Uh, Remember the Titans is an incredible movie, and if you haven't seen it, you should go see it after this afternoon uh, after worship. But uh, in the movie, there are, there are a few different scenes that stick out to me. One of them is when the team uh, comes out of the locker room, and they're warming up before a game, and they start dancing and chanting on the field in unison. And uh, the words that they sing are this. Now, I'm not going to dance, and I'm not going to chant, so go watch the movie. You'll, you'll get it. But... What happens is uh, they get on the field and they say these words. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are. So we tell them we are the Titans, the mighty, mighty Titans. Now, uh, everyone else uh, in the the camera kind of pans out to everyone else in the crowd and the other team, and everyone's just kind of looking at them like, 
what is happening, right? I mean, that's not how you warm up for a football game. It's kind of this strange scene. And yet, when I look about that, when I think about that scene in the context of identity, I couldn't help but realize that in that moment, they were answering both of the questions that I asked this morning. Now, on the one hand, of course, they answered very clearly that they are the Titans. Who are you? Oh, we are the Titans, the mighty, mighty Titans. And, and then how does that influence what you do? Well, it clearly shows that through their singing and their dancing, they were comfortable with themselves as a team, that as they lifted up their voices together, they were united in their mission, and alongside that, that they were, must have been pretty confident in their ability to play football. Because I've got to be honest with you, if you're going to go out dancing and singing on the field, you better be good. Right, so, so they have all these wonderful moments, and I know that it's a movie, and that's not really what teams do, but it just kind of stuck out to me. It highlighted the reality that who you are influences what you do, that it's all a part of your identity. And interestingly enough, I think that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us in his letter, in his letter this morning. See, when I preached two weeks ago, uh, we talked about Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 to 20, in which St. Paul tells the story of everything. And in that story, he talks about how Jesus is in all things, and in him all things hold together. Now in chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul decides to tell the people specifically what that means for them. What does it mean that Jesus is in all things, and how does that change your life? There's this, this beautiful imagery that Paul continues to use and connect. What does it mean for their identity? How does that change their lives, that Jesus is in all things? And Paul answers the question in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 3. He says this, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now something that you should keep in mind, especially when reading the Bible, and certainly Paul's letters, is that when they were first read, they were read kind of in totality. So one full letter read all together. And so what that means is they would read them over and over again so that everyone could kind of connect the dots and see it all come together. Because if you just do what we did, which is just read chapter 3, then what Paul says doesn't really sound like an answer to a question. And so actually we have to read the letter more. We have to see where else Paul answers this question. The question of who are you? Well, Paul actually answers that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Here's what he says to the people. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And so uh, the answer to the question, who are you, who am I, for Paul is very simple. I am a baptized child of God. Uh, this is what Paul is telling the people, that their identity, that when they ask themselves, who am I, uh, you are a baptized child of God. And, and what's interesting then is, as soon as Paul says that, he now shifts into what does that look like in your life? How does that influence what you do? Right, and he starts in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, on account which is idolatry. Now, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming to those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices. 
Now, there are plenty of times that, uh, whether you're reading Paul's letters or even other parts of Scripture, that it's not necessarily clear what's being said. This is not one of those times, okay? Uh, Paul's being very clear with his words. He tells them, you are a baptized child of God. And what it means is, when you go out and live, you cannot do the things that don't give honor or glory to God. Right? And it seems kind of straightforward, but that's the point of Paul's message, to remind the people that who you are influences what you do. And you notice how he kind of breaks it up into two categories here. Right? Uh, the, the first category all comes out in verse 5. He says, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, if you were to look at your Bible, uh, whether on your Bible app on the phone or even in, in your worship folder this morning, you would see that uh, idolatry is in parentheses. And what's happening in the, in the original text is that Paul is including all of those things in idolatry. That, that if fornication and impurity and passion, evil desire, greed, all of those are different forms of idolatry. All of those, uh, when practicing them, are things that you are putting above God. That's not what the baptized do. Right? right? Shake those things off. That's what, that's what Paul says here. But uh, I'm sure there were some people back then, and maybe even some of us here, who hear those categories or those sins, and we say to ourselves, well, I don't struggle with any of those things. And, and so maybe, maybe Paul's not really talking to me. And then Paul gives us that, that second list, which is a little more broad. He says in verses 8 and 9, But now you must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices. Anyone here ever been angry before? Anybody ever lied before? Anybody ever cursed before? Yeah, I mean, I'm guilty of those things too. You know, I don't even need you to raise your hands because this is one of those moments where it's like, yeah, I've done that, but I don't want to tell you I've done that. Right? I mean, that second list kind of all of a sudden convicts all of us in some way, shape, or form. There are moments in our lives in which we are quick to anger and slow to listen. There are moments in our lives in which we lie or are deceitful, where we are even abusive or offensive with our language. And sometimes we even try to defend those acts. And it's not even just cursing, it's even just being unkind to one another, which exists in all different kinds of ways, right? Not only in person, but now online. Right? All different ways to be offensive with our language, to be deceiving and to lie. Honestly, when I read both of these lists, I begin to feel awful inside. I feel so guilty for all the times that, that I have done any of these things. And the more I think about how many times I've done it, the worse I feel because I realize that I've done so many of these things more than I would ever want to admit, especially to any of you. And not only that, what makes me feel even worse then is that there are times that I have done these things and not felt guilty. I've justified why I was angry or I've tried to explain away or justify my lying or my deceitfulness. And when I'm brought back to these words from Paul, I find myself then asking the question, is this who I am? That uh, with all my actions, is this who I am? And if I was judging myself or, or judging someone else based on all the past actions that I know that I've done, the answer would be overwhelmingly yes. But the truth is, it's not about who I say I am. As we sang this morning, it's about who God says I am. 
And in the word of God that Paul speaks to us this morning, it's very clear who I am. I am a baptized child of God. That is who you are. You are a baptized child of God. And and shameless plug here, if you're not baptized, let's make that happen, okay? Come find me after worship. Because, Because here's what it means to be a baptized child of God. When you are a baptized child of God, you are baptized into Christ's death. Your sin, past, present, and future, was put to death. We all just got to witness as Bianca's sins were put to death in the water. And she came out and she cried a little bit because the old self went away. And then we clapped and the new self was revealed. That her sin went to die in that water and she was raised out of it to new life. Just like each and every one of you. A baptized child of God. Your sins drowned in that water and you were raised to new life. And everything about you now is different. See, uh, the things that you struggled with, the sins that you struggled with, they're not who you are. They are a symptom of who you were. Because now you are a baptized child of God. And, And being a baptized child of God means that you are made new. Not only in the moment when the water first came over your head, but that at every moment you are constantly being made new. Right here, right now even. The Spirit is working on your heart and mind, on my heart and mind, to constantly transform us, to constantly renew us, to remind us of our baptism. To remind you of who you are. And when you know who you are, you'll see how it influences what you do. You know, uh, Martin Luther even said that uh, every day, whether uh, when you wake up in the morning or before you go to bed at night or even just the middle of the day, that you should throw some water on your face, that you should remind yourself of your baptism. Because one of the things that does for us is when we are overwhelmed by our sin, when we are feeling weighed down with the guilt of the things that we have done, when that water hits us, we're reminded of what happens in our baptism. That we can go back to God. We can go back and say, God, cleanse me again. God, make me new again. God, create in me a new heart and a new spirit within me. And every single time, God drowns your sin over and over and over again. And he raises you up to be made new to be forgiven, and to live in the light of your baptismal identity. See, your baptism is who you are. You are a baptized child of God. And from that, you are made new and sent out to put this new identity in action. So what does that look like? What does it look like to live out your baptismal identity? One of the things that I love about Scripture is that it doesn't just tell us what not to do, but in fact shows us what we should do. Right? Paul, as he continues in his letter in Colossians, in in verses 12 through 17, he says this, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. 
And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So uh, besides, uh, when they come out and sing in the movie, uh, you know, one of my favorite scenes in Remember the Titans, there's another scene that really stands out to me. It's kind of coming towards the end of the movie, and the team is in uh, one of their most intense games of the season. And the coach calls a timeout, and he brings his team together. And he makes this incredibly passionate speech, and he, he tells them how they need to play. And the way that they need to play for the rest of the game, that this is what he wants that other team to remember. This is, this is how he ends the speech. He says, you make sure that they remember forever the night they played the Titans. That with their action on the field, not only are they the Titans, but that they would be remembered for what they did. That is how Paul speaks to me and you today. You are a baptized child of God. So with everyone and anyone that you encounter, lead with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Forgive one another just as you have been forgiven. Share the love of Jesus that has bind you up in perfect harmony and a love that is so fulfilling, a love that you can share with those in need of such great love. Let his word and his peace dwell in you. And as much as you can, leave no doubt with anyone that you may encounter that they might remember forever that you are a baptized child of God. And that has changed everything about your life. That reminds you of who you are. You're a baptized child of God. And together, then, we go out as the baptized into the world to put our identity in action. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.